0: Particularly focused on John 13, verses 34 and, and 35. But I'll go ahead and begin reading at verse 31 through verse 35. So, John chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. So, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O <coughs> oh, gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you, Father, again for the opportunity that we have to gather together here to open your word, to see the truth that is here. And we do pray that your spirit would be working in our midst and helping us to see this challenge that you give to us and that you would help us to apply these truths to our hearts and our lives that we would truly bring glory to you as we seek to be faithful witnesses throughout all the earth and so we ask now lord for your blessing upon your holy word in the name of the lord jesus christ we pray amen How do other people know that you are a Christian? Do you talk openly about God, about Jesus and about your faith? Or maybe you uh, casually, in conversation, mention things like going to church or praying or reading the Bible? How do others, especially those who may not know you, how do they know you are a Christian? Well, Jesus, in our passage this evening, gives His disciples a command so that by their faithful obedience to that command, all people will know that they are His disciples and followers. That command is to love one another. Now, last time in our Back to the Basics series, we considered the first and the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving God by serving and obeying Him and seeking to glorify Him in all things is really our our chief goal and purpose in life. A purpose that we can only fulfill because by His abounding grace and mercy, God first loved us. And He demonstrated that love by sending His only begotten Son, Jesus, to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. Indeed, this is the greatest act of love, even as we will celebrate in the Lord's Supper this evening. But the command in our passage to love one another also flows out of God's great love for us, as well as our love for God. That is because in loving Him, by, we love Him by keeping His commands, we must then love one another because this is what He has commanded us and called us to do. And so as we consider this basic yet important command this evening, I want to focus on how we're to love one another in three different spheres of our life. In the home, in the church, and in the world. And we begin with the love in the home. Home sweet home. Well, one of the things that should make a home sweet is that there should be love evident in the home. And this should be especially true in a, in a Christian home. Recognizing again that for true and lasting love to be present, that Christ must be at the center and the love of God must be the foundation. We see this, for example, in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. See, if God is, is the foundation in building the house, then the house will be able to endure the storms of life, and, and the labor or work that it takes to build the home will not be in vain. Well, as we consider this building of the home, let's consider the core. The marriage between one man and one woman is the blueprint necessary to building a home and a family. And this marriage relationship is to be marked by faithfulness and love in fact one of the common passages uh, probably most often read or quoted or referred to in, in a marriage ceremony is 1 Corinthians 13 and truly this uh, 1 Corinthians 13 applies love uh, in all settings but perhaps most uh, most importantly in the uh, relationship of marriage. And so, for example, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 4 Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never And we're not going to go through this in in detail, but I would encourage you at some point to, to maybe even spend some time and read through this passage, even perhaps with your spouse, read over it together, study it, meditate upon the Lord's instruction, and probe your own hearts about where you may fall short, and then confess to your spouse and to God these shortcomings. And of course, if you're not yet married... Well, consider this list when you think that you have met Mr. or Ms. Wright. And then use it as a test or barometer to see if your potential spouse truly loves. Or even whether you yourself truly love. Well, a key example of love in marriage that really exhibits all these. That we're to have, of course, is... Jesus himself, and in particular, in his relationship with the church. And Ephesians 5, Paul gives us this instruction, and I'll begin at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now this passage gets many people excited, perhaps uh, more in a negative way than than a positive way. And granted, it's a passage that truly has been used and misused and abused. Right? And some look at this and they say, oh, the Bible's outdated. And, and Paul is, uh, it talks about oppressive authority. And Paul, he's just a, a misogynist. He hates women. And of course, it's used by others and misused by others to condone slavery in marriage. And even to condone abuse in marriage. But many misunderstand this text and its context. And of course, the buzzword is the word submit in verse 22. But the reason why I I read verse 21 is because people often miss miss this, that the same word is used first in verse 21. And that is there, uh, Paul says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So he's basically saying, look, in our lives as Christians, we're called to submit to one another. That is, to be servants of one another, to put the needs and the concerns of others before our own. And Paul talks about that in other places, in uh, in Ephesians and Philippians in particular, Philippians 2. And so there's this sense of, of mutual submission between believers, as believers are called to serve one another. And so this is how we're called to live in the church to the glory of God but Paul jumps from this general idea of this mutual submission as uh, believers in Christ he goes from that general idea to a very specific example in marriage now we know in God's designed for the marriage relationship that the husband is to be the head of the household and the wife is called to submit to her husband's headship as he strives to lead and guide the family to do what's right and good in God's sight Now, we must keep in mind here the wife isn't to be forced or compelled to submit, but she willingly does so in order to honor and respect her husband who provides for and who protects her. Now, while much attention is given to verse 22, verse 25, again, is also uh, often overlooked. In fact, it requires a greater responsibility That the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And then we have to ask, well, how did Christ love the church? Well, He loved the church by giving Himself for her and dying for her. Now, that's a pretty tall order. But it's the example the husband is to follow and to live out. And so in marriage, the love of a wife is to be marked by humility, service, and respect toward her husband as the one that God has appointed as the head of the family, and the love of the husband in marriage is also to be marked by the same humility and service and respect toward his wife as his God-given helpmate. But it also includes that all-important sacrificial love. Husbands, you must love your wives by being willing to give your lives for her and making sacrifices in your life for your wife. For That's exactly what Jesus Christ did for his bride, the church. And so the Christian home should be established upon this foundation of service, humility, respect, and self-sacrifice. Well, what about the other relationships in a family? The relationships between parents and children? Well, here we turn to the fifth commandment, uh, which says this. Honor your father, your, your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. So children, you're to love your parents and honor them by being obedient. And we can use even that buzzword. You're to be submissive to them as the most immediate authority that God has put over you in your life. And you're supposed to trust that you've been given to your parents as a gift from God. And that your parents will do all that they're able to do. To teach you the things of God. And of course this is one of the, the things that they commit to doing when you are baptized. They commit to uh, teaching and instructing you and providing for you and caring for you and praying for you. Now implied in this commandment is not just the, uh, the children's love for the parents but also the parents' love for the children. So parents are to love your children, respect and honor them as the gifts that they truly are. And we see how we're to love our children in, in three particular ways. They're to provide for them. Right? Provide food, clothing, shelter, physical, emotional, and spiritual needs and nourishment. So children, parents have a, a duty and an obligation to provide for you. To see that you have that all you need. Not necessarily that all that you want, but all that you truly need so that you might grow and flourish in the fear and in the nurture of the Lord well your parents are also called to protect you to show their love by protecting you and they do this by shielding you from harm's way and and even setting limits upon you look you don't don't go over there or or don't touch that they even protect you by saying no you can't have that And then also, thirdly, your parents are called to show their love to you by disciplining you. Discipline is a way that your parents show this love. In Proverbs 13, verse 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, no one likes to be disciplined, but it's for your own benefit. As long as it's fair and not overly severe. And so that's how your parents are to love you. Now we have, a, again, another example uh, given to us in order to imitate, and that is God the Father's love for His children. Right? God loves those who are His, even as a father loves his children. Psalm 103, a father pity, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fears him, who fear Him. And it's God who provides for us. It's God who protects us. It's God who disciplines us. In Hebrews 12, picking up from uh, Proverbs 13, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. And of course we know that God greatly loved His only begotten Son. And through that Son, God now loves those who would believe on Him. And so husbands and wives, loving one another... And parents and children loving one another, this is how, how we carry out this command in the home. But what about in the church? How is this command fulfilled in the church? Well, we start with the love that the sheep, the people, are to have for their shepherd, that is, the people for the elders. Now, this again closely parallels structure in the family. You see, again, we're all one. And we're all equal as to our standing in Christ. But the elders have been given the responsibility and the authority in the church. And that should be respected and honored. And so the members of the congregation are called to respect, honor, and and submit in love and with love to the appointed elders. And Paul gives this instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. He says, let the elders who rule well... Be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And then uh, Hebrews 13, the writer there says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so the awesome work and responsibility that the elders have been entrusted with should engender the love Of the congregation. And again practically. We again see this love expressed. In service and humility. And submissiveness and honor. And in respect. And hopefully. You will have an example to follow. In your elders. Because just as the people are to love the elders. Who are over them. The elders are called to love the people. That the Lord has entrusted to their care. And so Jesus in response to James and, and John's blundering request to be seated at the right and left hand in his kingdom, Jesus at that point, uh, he cautioned them as those who would not just be disciples but who would be future apostles and, and future leaders in the church. Jesus cautions them and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. The Apostle Peter picks up on this same uh, idea in 1 Peter 5. He says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elders, as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So the elders of the church are to be servant leaders, that is, they're to love the congregation entrusted to their care by seeking to serve and minister to them and leading them by giving them godly examples to imitate. Well, again, this is similar to what we said about parents and children and that the elders are to show their love by providing nourishment providing spiritual nourishment through the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word right? and the elders must be faithful in offering forth this really living bread of God's word but to provide spiritual care and counsel to pray for the members of the church and to minister to them in times of need The elders are also called to show their love to the congregation by protecting them. Protecting them from wolves in sheep's clothing, from false teachers and false doctrine. Jesus warns in Matthew 7, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And so they protect by teaching the true and the pure doctrine of God, and not the doctrines and the traditions of men to teach you how to study the scriptures and how to test every spirit rather than just to take even their word for it without question. but to always search out the scriptures. That's how they protect you by encouraging you in those things. They also show their love by faithfully carrying out discipline when needed chastising and rebuking admonishing warning and even condemning sin in your lives now the hope and the goal of discipline and love is that the individual would eventually repent and and turn away from their sin that they would seek their forgiveness and be restored to the fold and so discipline discipline in the church is to begin with love and it should also end in love even as it's carried out with love And again, here we have the example that Jesus gives us as the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Also in the realm of the church, there is to be a love for one another. This is the sheep for other sheep in the congregation, the people for the people. Now the context of John 13 uh, is Judas leaving the Passover gathering to carry out his wicked act of betrayal. And also Jesus has just talked about Peter's denial, uh, predicted Peter's denial. And certainly there could have been great potential here for anger, for bitterness, and even revenge. But Jesus redirects them, knowing this possibility, and he points them to this command to love one another people should know we are Christ's disciples because we love one another. The love within the body of Christ should be a distinguishing mark of discipleship evident to to visitors and to those who are out in the world. Christians and love should be synonymous. Not as the world tries to paint that Christians and hate go together, but really Christians and love should go together. So, how do we demonstrate this love for one another? Mutual submission, honor, respect, humility, and a sincere desire to serve one another. It's all pretty straight, simple, and straightforward. And it's, hopefully, you're getting the idea, it's repeated over and over again. And again, even in this, we have a key example. Jesus had just given this example earlier in, in chapter 13, where he washed the disciples' feet. And by washing the disciples' feet, Jesus was giving the disciples of this very clear example as to how they are to love one another. Not necessarily that we're to actually go around and wash one another's feet. But we're to humble ourselves before one another. And we're to serve one another. Not seeking our own selfish interests. But to look out for the welfare and the interests of others. Beloved God, what kindness of love have you expressed to one another recently? Are you seeking to be uh, submissive and, and humble toward one another and giving honor and respect to one another? Seeking to find ways how you can serve one another? That is a fulfillment of this command that Jesus gives. Well, our love, certainly in this context, should first and foremost ...be shown to those who are of the household of faith. We, as those who are united together in a common faith in Christ... ...obviously it's natural that we have this everlasting bond... ...that pulls us together. And so we should have this great love for one another. Because even Christ loved each of us. But the Apostle Paul charges in Galatians 6, he says this... So then while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So we are to first think about how we can love one another within the body. But we're also called here to do good and to show our love to all men, to those outside the church, even to those in the world. Now, I should say that this is not a call to love the world. That is, to love worldliness. As, as John warns about in First John 2, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty severe. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And right? so we, we don't love the worldliness of the world But as we're in the world, we're to love those who are also in the world. We're called to show love to those in the world. This, again, is really the second greatest commandment. The first being, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting, when Jesus gives that command and and, uh, that teaching to his disciples, it's in response to a question from the rich young ruler... Who had asked him, who is my... Then uh, he asked, who is my neighbor? And it's the question that follows. He says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Remember what follows? It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so that our neighbor, Jesus points out there, that our neighbor is anyone who is in need. And that includes everyone, as all are in need in one way or another, especially there's in spiritually in need of the gospel. Now, it may seem easy to be kind and serve unselfishly those who are our neighbors, right? Those are close by and, oh, yeah, I can take a, I can do a, a friendly thing. I can show my love and serve my neighbor next door and do something nice and special for them. But what about those who don't treat us very neighborly? The unkind neighbors, You see, we're even called to love them. We're to love the unlovely. Jesus says in Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Now this truly requires sacrifice and patience and endurance, understanding, faith, self-control, peace, kindness, goodness, and of course love. It sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, and indeed it is. 1 Corinthians 13 not just to your spouse but to your enemies but there's see a goal in all this in loving those in the world and even loving your enemies because as we do this we provide an opportunity for the gospel to shine forth Paul says in Romans 12 but if your enemy is hungry feed him And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the coals there are to be, you know, someone is treating you uh, poorly. And you're treating them kindly. Well, that's going to be convicting upon them. And those burning coals are going to be simmering. And may stir their hearts, we trust. So, our good deeds done out of love and done in faith in the name of Christ will cause, cause others to be confronted with the truth of the gospel and of its transforming grace and power. And they'll note that we don't react and respond uh, as others do, but we, rather we react and respond in love and compassion and all humility. What a great witness and a testimony for the glory of God. Indeed, where there is love, the gospel will truly flourish. And what's our example for this? Paul lays it out for us in Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of God and His righteousness, unlovely in His sight... Jesus Christ died for us. Christ has done this for us and He calls us now to do the very same thing in our lives, right? So He's not calling us to do anything differently than He's done. To love openly, freely, and generously so that all may know that we are His disciples indeed. And so love must have preeminence in our lives if we're to have anything at all. Wives, in love you need to submit to your husbands. Husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Parents, you need to love your children. And children, you need to love and honor and obey your parents. People of God, you're to love your elders. And elders, you're to love the people God has entrusted to your care or to love one another, or to love your neighbors as yourself to the glory of Christ. This is what Jesus here commands us. For if we're faithful to this command, others should know without a doubt that we're His disciples, that we're Christians, and that we worship the one true God who alone is love. And of course, we must remember That we can only love one another because Jesus Christ and God first loved us through Christ. That He gave us the perfect example of love by sending Jesus that whoever would believe on Him would have everlasting life. If you desire true love in your life, you must first receive the love of God that is offered to you through the Gospel. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And truly, may He shower upon all of us this great love so that we might then love one another all to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O Lord God in heaven, how we rejoice and give thanks For the truth of your word and for this command, which seems maybe simple, but it's challenging. Because people are hard to love. And even as we think about it, as we look in the mirror and we wonder and are mystified as to how you could have loved us, we acknowledge that we're hard to love. In fact, we were unlovely and your enemies. And yet you so loved us that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Father, we just pray that you would stir within our own hearts that kind of love within our marriages, within our families, within the congregation, and even within our communities. So that as we strive to truly Love one another as you have called us. That there would be many opportunities to declare the gospel. Because people will ask us about this hope that we have within us and this love that we have. They'll see, they'll be able to know without a doubt that we are your disciples. Because we love one another. And so Father we pray that you would truly bless us now with this love even as we now gather together at the table to celebrate and remember the greatest act of love of you giving your son Jesus so that we might have life so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins so that we might have reconciliation with you so that we might have a sure and certain hope of eternal life in your glorious presence forever and ever and ever. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.